Asset Arrest, your global agent for accessing the property you can't afford. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Asset Arrest, a podcast in which each episode centres around a viewing of a different luxury property that I, Laura Yule, attend with a different invited guest each time. So far, I've mostly been looking at the high end of residential property in London and Berlin, the type that is largely being marketed towards a global audience looking to invest. But this episode marks a deviation from this path as I travel to Newcastle to explore the booming world of private student housing. This episode is a viewing of Liberty Keys, one of Liberty Living Limited's student residencies. Liberty Living Limited is one of the UK's largest privately owned providers of purpose-built student accommodation. According to their website, they have over 24,000 beds under management across 51 residencies in the UK. Their 51 residencies are across 19 UK locations and each residence has around 400 beds on average. Founded in 2000 as part of Brando, a UK student accommodation open-ended fund, the Liberty Living brand was created in 2003. Canada Pension Plan Investment Board acquired the Liberty Living portfolio and operating platform from the Brando Student Accommodation Fund for £1.1 billion in March 2015. And since the acquisition, their portfolio has increased by 41%. According to the website, Canada Pension Plan Investment Fund is a professional investment management organisation that invests the funds not needed by the Canada Pension Plan to pay current benefits on behalf of 20 million contributors and beneficiaries. In order to build a diversified portfolio of CPP assets, CPPIB invests in public equities, private equities, real estate, infrastructure and fixed income instruments. Headquartered in Toronto with offices in Hong Kong, London, Luxembourg, Mumbai, New York City, Sao Paulo and Sydney, the CPPIB is governed and managed independently of the Canada Pension Plan and at arm's length from governments. On June 30th, 2017, the CPP fund totaled three. 326.5 billion Canadian dollars. The CPP is ranked as one of the 10th largest retirement funds in the world, allowing it to undertake large transactions with which few others can compete. The certainty of these assets affords the CPP the ability to be flexible, patient investors who can capitalise on opportunities in volatile markets when others face liquidity pressures. CPPIB is a long-term investor in Liberty Living, seeing it as an ideal platform through which it can build further scale. I attended this viewing with Roger Burrows, who has been Professor of Cities at Newcastle University since 2016. Roger has an academic background in sociology, statistics and political economy, but he has also worked in the fields of social policy and cultural studies. His most recent book is The Predictive Postcode, The Geodemographics Classification of British Society, published by Sage in 2018 um, and co-authored with Richard Weber. At Newcastle, he contributes sessions to modules such as Understanding Place, Urban Poverty, Houses and Homes and Understanding Cities. He's currently working on a project mapping out the new subterranean geographies, the mega-basements of plutocratic London, and is also examining the impact of alt-right neo-reactionary philosophies on urban imaginaries and smart cities ideology. He's published far too many articles, chapters, books and reports to mention here, but I urge you to delve into these in your own time, many of which can be found online. So before we get to Roger and I's meeting, let's hear a little from the Liberty Living website. Coming to the UK to study from abroad? Welcome! We love catering to students from all over the world and learning a thing or two about their culture. 
Luckily, we've already got plenty of experience with this, as we currently have around 4,500 international students staying with us. So you're certainly not alone. When you stay with Liberty Living, your safety is the most important thing to us. We understand that you're a long way from home, and you want to feel comfortable and secure at all times. We have amazing staff on hand 24 hours a day, from the residence team right through to security, who'll keep an eye out for you overnight, as well as CCTV. Contents insurance covering your possessions is included as standard in your rent, so your stuff is protected, and any parcels you have delivered will be well looked after until you can come to collect them. Of course, we want you to have fun and make the most of your time here too. You can always come to us with any problems, or even just for a chat. A new country can be confusing, so we've got lots of tips for things to do too. Just ask. Many of our staff members are multilingual, so don't be shy if English isn't your first language. If we can't immediately offer support in your native tongue, we'll point you in the direction of someone who can. We'll do our best to help you settle in and make friends. And we can point you in the right direction for any visa, welfare, or university advice you may need. Hi Roger, thanks for joining me to view some private student housing in Newcastle. And I've just been reading a lot of your, your, your essays and things mm. around, the, I guess mostly the effects of the super rich upon urban living, which I guess is focused on London. Is, is that right? You've been... Yeah, very much so. Yeah. I mean, we've been doing a, a project looking at the huge concentration of wealth in the 21st century, but certainly post the financial crash in 2008. And often, you know, people look that look at that at kind of a global statistical level, which is really interesting. That book by Piketty, for instance, was really uh, influential a few years ago. But we were interested in doing a more kind of qualitative project, looking at the lived experience of people living in, in central London, where uh, you know, literally billions and billions of pounds have been parked in the last last ten years. And not only has the built environment changed, but the, the social structure of central London has, mm. has changed. So we've been, been looking at looking at that last. And were you have you been in conversation with a lot of people who have been affected by this? Then? Yeah, yeah, and uh, mostly uh, people who I, I normally wouldn't spend a lot of time with. To be quite honest, we've been looking at the impact of, of if I could call them like the uber wealthy, the transnationally absolutely uh, hugely wealthy, the impact that they're having on. What I suppose we would used to call the gentry. You know, the merely wealthy. Just <laughs> uh, uh, you know, what is the merely wealthy then, just to be clear? Because well, I, I think the, I just think the, wealthy. The merely girl. wealthy, I, I think, are what I would call kind of uh, uh, established residents of West London who have you know, certainly have had careers and savings and, and investments which uh, certainly put them in the, in the millionaire bracket, sometimes a multi-millionaire bracket. Mm. And uh, even they're being squeezed out of... Well, it's interesting. I mean, you know... People often talk about gentrification, super gentrification, but when the gentry themselves are being kind of replaced, they don't really know what you call it. They don't have to move, of course. It's not like gentrification where the working class are, are shifted on by uh, the middle class and the upper middle class moving into areas. Uh, it's really a, a process by which the new money arrives and begins to transform the neighbourhood. And the established, let's call them kind of in, indigenous elites who have, who have been in, 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 in central London generations, no longer feel at home you know they can choose to stay or of course they can take the money out of the equity gains that they've had in their already very expensive properties mm. and go somewhere else but they don't really know where to go anymore because 
they're at the very heart of kind of central London. Uh, so they, they're not displaced, but they're being replaced. And, and uh, some of them, I should say, quite sad stories to tell. It's difficult to sort of sympathise with some of these people, but... Actually, well, them. they don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, they literally no longer feel that they have a, a locality. They feel they feel comfortable. I mean, often, you know, some of the people who have moved, who we were interviewing, were in their 60s, 70s. You know, some of them mm. took the money and passed it on to their children and had an impact of, of actually uh, leading to sort of ripple effects elsewhere in the country, you know, so or elsewhere in London. But it's an interesting phenomenon where uh, we've been looking at kind of competition between established elite mostly established English elites and this new money that's been coming in so it's also kind of implicated with forms of racism and othering as well because often the money that's coming in is coming in with Eastern Europeans mm. people from the Middle East the Chinese less so because the Chinese although they're very wealthy and make investments within London tend not to go into those areas of West London they like big new build modern modern properties yeah and they're buying this they're buying without those seeing things it, you know, yeah, yeah 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 uh, they don't like buying older 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 properties Mm. so much so um, and uh, I think the thing that has been fascinating is we've been following what the people who buy these houses then do with them because they spend millions and millions of pounds and often they dig down these uh, huge big mega basements so they uh, they piss everyone off who's you know in the locality because these things can take years and years off so uh, yeah I think I watched the documentary about yeah. that and, and yeah, the, the kind of <laughs> yeah incredible disruption yeah. it caused to yeah. everyone living yeah. on the street which is it's also absurd that there's so little space people have to dig like three stories under the ground yeah. just to make their house kind of more extravagant well there's a great novel by jonathan coe called number 11 which is about many things but one of one of the central elements of the story is a, a couple billionaire couple who, who are building an 11 story basement simply because they know someone who's got a 10 story basement so there is this kind of competition for the generation of literally digging, digging, digging value out of the earth. Mm. There, came, there came a point in London property prices where it became sensible, if that's the right word, to actually go down and to dig the basement space to increase the volume of the property because the, the, the cubic meterage had come to be so valuable that actually it was worth spending a couple of million quid, sometimes more than that, in order to big, dig the basement to higher this engineers. this is because they can't build on top, yeah, basically. Yeah. The values of the properties, by, by almost by definition, are in areas where uh, they're often listed or where there's all sorts of regulations where you can't, you know, build yeah. up. But or, there's, or, and there's uh, no regulations regarding building down? Or there's, there are now. There are now. It's less clear because you, as long as it's a freehold property, you uh, own everything below the property to the centre of the earth. Oh, wow. I mean, in London, um, of course, you know, uh, uh, tubes get in the way and sewerage works yeah. and other things as well. But but you don't own the sky above You your don't house. own the sky above, <laughs> but you do own the, the land that it's, that, mm. it's, that it's built upon, as long as you're a freeholder. So th- these things aren't built under flats, for instance, which are leasehold, but they are built under, under freehold, freehold properties. So we've had a couple of projects um, mapping out the extent of you know, what we've called luxified troglodytism. You know, we've got luxified skies, we can see all the high-rises going up all across the city, but we haven't been able to see this huge subterranean development that's been occurring across London that's been truly invisible. Uh, you know, we calculated uh, in the last 10 years, well, from 2008 till the end of 2018, just in the central seven, seven most affluent London boroughs, because that's all the, all the resource we had to examine, but just in those seven boroughs, the most expensive areas, you know, Westminster, Kensington, and Chelsea, those other areas, there's 4,650 basements wow. were built. And if you, if you totaled them all up and you looked how, 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 how deep they'd gone, it was equivalent to, uh, you know, the shard built above um, London Bridge Station, 50 shards down. Jeez. Or the other calculation we did, it was equivalent to walking out of Harrods 
you'd be able to walk in a tunnel if they were all lined up. You'd be able to walk to London City Airport in East London. Wow, ground scrapers, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you is, could call it, it. They're literally pouring money into the ground. I find that I, I spent some time living in Beijing, and yeah. there's a there's a big problem there with like the opposite, yeah. which is like illegal student housing yeah. being built yeah, yeah. under the ground yeah, yeah. in these huge complexes, yeah. which is kind of fascinating. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no shortage of space in Beijing, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, the yeah. prices are so high that. Yeah. They're yeah. digging under for like yeah. the opposite reason. Yeah. And you've moved to Newcastle a few years ago. Four, is four is years that like ago, a yeah. welcome escape from from being surrounded by this in London? No, because I, you know, I'm still very fond of London. I'm very fond of Newcastle as well. And and as I was saying before, I, I I live in York some of the time. So so it's interesting to compare and contrast three very very different cities. London isn't of England anymore or of mm. Britain. You know, it's a global city. Uh, and of course, I don't live in West London. I live in a in a in a in a part of part of South London, which is like pretty normal. You know, mm. where, where these things actually don't pertain. Feeling Residential kind of. feeling, you know, just kind of normal normal things. You know, Sainsbury's pubs, parks, uh, trees, uh, trees, <laughs> lovely parks. You know, I live quite near the Horniman Museum, if you know yeah, that, which is a lovely nice space around there. around there. And so I live like on the Blackwall Tunnel yeah. approach road. So yeah. every time I go somewhere <laughs> no, like that, no. I'm like, oh, wow, <laughs> people still live like this. Well, <laughs> Normal. Quite, but it's quite interesting. <laughs> I, don't know exa- I don't know exactly the geography of that part of East London, but what we've discovered is a lot of the soil that they dig out of the basements ends up in East London. A lot of it mm. ended up in a place called... Well, I think it used to be called Silvertown, but I think it, I like think it's Harrington, now called Silvertown. London City Island, oh, which God, is this yes. little this yeah, little yeah. Manhattan. I did monstrosity. a viewing there. I used to actually have a studio there. Okay, but a lot of the soil comes from under uh, from West the, London geez. from the from, from the from the clay that they've digged out of, dug out of the, uh, the so uh, it moves to become sort of landscape. <laughs> yeah. No, I've not been, but I, I've, I've seen I've seen the images, and it does look the most horrendous sort of Ballardian. Yeah, yeah, if you've seen an image, you don't need to go there. It's no, exactly no, no, the no, same, yeah, yeah, and the flats yeah. are small and flimsy, and yeah, the yeah, place is yeah. just slightly terrifying. Yeah. Have, do you have much thoughts on the kind of proliferation of private student housing in Newcastle? Is it something well, you kind I, of? I don't know. I mean, I, I know more about student housing in London than I know in Newcastle. I do know that there are 60,000 students in Newcastle now and the expansion of higher education nationally and in regional centres like this is incredibly important, but there's all sorts of consequences. I mean, not, not least, uh, again, it's not necessarily a group of people I feel great sort of empathy or sympathy with, but when local landlords owned student houses in, in, in Newcastle, at least the money was staying in the city. Mm. Now, actually, the money's coming in from Beijing or from Luxembourg or, or, or somewhere other than the, the, the Newcastle. Uh, huge uh, rents, as I think we're going to see in a moment. Certainly yeah. uh, not appropriate to, 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 the, to, to the non-student rental market, but that money just goes straight out of the city. It doesn't stay in the city. It actually goes back to where it came from. Mm. But there's clearly been a massive overexpansion. I don't think they've really spoken to the universities about it. They're assuming that there's going to be this a constant flow of overseas students and, and rich students okay. from the south. Is there a the constant flow of students so far because the universities are doing huge amounts of outreach to get uh, students at in? At the moment or? there is. The concern has to be that the, the private market has overreached itself in terms of the properties that they've actually put up. I mean, some of them aren't even online yet. As you know, they're going to come on the next couple of years. I think the assumption that the expansion of student numbers is going to increase is a, is a, is a dangerous assumption to make with uh, Brexit, with the situation in, in China and such like. I mean, lots of the uh, the high-end market is, a, is an overseas student market and the demographics are very very interesting you know we we are in a situation where it's not clear 
that uh, the numbers are going to uh, increase exponentially in the way that they have done. But uh, then, I guess, I mean, I think they recently announced that international students will be able to stay two years fin- upon finishing their studies, <coughs> I guess, is, a, is it one of the true, steps that are made towards so let, making let, it appealing. So that will, will potentially continue uh, its importance. But look, the global market for our education is changing dramatically. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if in, well, I was going to say 10 years' time, but let me say five or seven years' time, if we don't actually have a lot of students from uh, Europe and from the UK going to China rather than Chinese students coming here, the, the mm. massive investment the Chinese are making in terms of really high quality university provision in China is quite, quite, quite incredible. Mm. Post-Brexit, I don't know where we're going to be. You know, uh, you know clearly, I think, um, you know, if one was going to have a kind of a, an apocalyptic scenario, you know, the country will look very, very unappealing. I mean, in mm. a sense, you know, you might want to come here so you can stay work two two years after you you graduate if there's work in the country if we're if we're not beset with all sorts of disturbances and riots and disorder you know it will be interesting yeah. you know london might might maintain itself because it's a global city and you know a lot of people don't know london is even in britain frankly you know it's kind of a, a hub where you where you go um but but the provincial centers will be interesting uh, most most Russell Group universities will 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 survive and prosper, I dare say. But there's clearly a problem with a lot of uh, smaller provincial, less elite institutions. I would say mm. who will probably begin to struggle for numbers. You know, the student cap's been removed, so we can take as many students as we like in 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 places that are attractive. So you know, there's there's, there's some really interesting research looking at what happens when vulnerable universities collapse in vulnerable cities. Mm. Cities now, certainly northern cities, are highly dependent upon student markets. Not just in the educational field, but in terms of the rental sector, in terms of Uber, yeah, yeah. in terms of bars, in terms of uh, all of you know. And there's also, is there not going to be a shift towards? Uh, making a point of how much money graduates from certain universities go on to earn. That's I don't know if this is happening already. It's but happening already, you know, in, in a sense, uh, I was talking to the students about it this week. You know, it used to be the subprime mortgage crisis where they actually took subprime mortgages as debt and, and securitized it and turned it into an investment vehicle. Well, they don't do that anymore because we saw what happened in 2008. So the new market is for student debt. So mm. the student debt is as important as it is because it's been securitized and turns into, it's turned into investments with a hugely, hugely detailed and granular analyses of where the student did their degree, what subject they did and what their earnings are likely to be. So you can actually calculate with a degree of precision the risk that someone will or won't pay their, their, their loans back. So, you know, a lot of the expansion, again, if one was being cynical, isn't just about the expansion in education because it's a good thing even in terms of the generation of employment opportunities for graduates. It's also about real estate and it's also about providing debt because mm. debt for one person is another person securitized investment and uh, that's a very sort of uh, scary 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 pro- prospect it seems it seems it seems mm. to me also um, a chinese friend was telling me mm. that a lot of the drive for um chinese students to study abroad mm. i think particularly at master's mm. level is that they then get the right within china to mm. kind of obtain official residential status for any of the main cities so yes. guangzhou shanghai beijing yeah. and they can buy property there yeah, work but it, there but, it, but it's also seen you know g- given the history of one child policy historically for for the wealthier parents seen as a legitimate mechanism, one of the few legitimate mechanisms for getting large sums of capital out of Beijing and Shanghai into Europe. Yeah. So if you have a child who gets into Imperial or Goldsmiths or Kings, seen as quite legitimate to buy a flat in central London for three or four million pounds. Mm-hmm. And that's a mechanism for getting the capital out and actually securing it hitherto within within something that's not going to lose its value. 
I knew someone in, in London whose job it was was to find um, flats, not student flats, but flats for students, mostly postgrads actually, in London, in blocks of flats where no other Chinese students were living because they didn't want to meet, they were quite happy to meet each other outside, but they didn't want to meet each other within the same block because they would then have to explain what they were doing there in relation to the, the purchasing the property. Oh, wow. So there was a there was all sorts of really interesting and quite kind of sensitive tensions between students who knew that they were all there to study, but also as a means of getting their parents' money out of, out mm. of China. Uh, and and his job was to ensure that the block was uh, not just a block of, of, of people from China who who might then report back to Beijing what what, Jeez, what was so happening. I don't, when I say Beijing, I don't just mean Beijing. I just mean to China. In yeah, general. yeah, yeah. So I think there's been large, large sums of money have shifted into central London in terms of a, primarily, initially a student market, mm. uh, and that's why the, the visa has been important because you can then keep it for a couple of years after that before you before you sell it on. But the point is, at that point, the capital is out of China, and you can do with it as you as you as please. You, okay. Mm. So I think that's uh, that's an interesting interesting but, thing. Presumably, that there's not much of a draw for these parents to buy property in Newcastle if they're sending their kids to study in Newcastle. No, not not, <laughs> not, not, not hitherto. So presumably, um, it's more about just something easy, safe, convenient. That's why London is so different, I think, in terms yeah. of actually having this drive. Hitherto, I'm going to keep saying hitherto because property prices are decreasing and buying buying property off plan is not not happening. So so you've got a, a situation now where you've got a huge oversupply of high end, high spec, high rise, new build properties in London um, sitting there empty. What will happen? Well, the the working classes will of course rise up and and <laughs> yeah. and, and, and um, local authorities will take them over and turn them into housing <laughs> association houses. I don't think, but but we are going to be in a situation where you can have a lot of hitherto high end, high rise housing looking down on the the homeless hordes mm. so you can imagine it will become surely a lot of these developments that are not finished are going to they're just they're, just, they're not going to be finished not be finished not now no, it will be like it was in in um, in dublin uh, 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 after the crash uh, i mean the, the the emblematic case of that isn't new build but it's the refurbishment of center point at the end of tottenham court road where oh, they, yeah. they've stopped selling them because they just couldn't sell them oh really and they didn't want the the the, uh, the values to go down even further so, okay. so they're just waiting until the market reasserts itself i think the market might not reassert itself for a very <laughs> very long while so i think these things are tied up dramatically i think the expansion of student housing in provincial cities was also to do with actually managing a crisis in uh, uh, building industry as well mm. to actually give them something to build in the, whilst the downturn was happening. Could have built council housing, but unfortunately... There's bet- also like, but there's now the, I think there's the, the problem of like the price of building materials has gone up, the, wait. the ease mean, of getting the you can't get, you people can't, you, to build the places has become difficult, like the whole thing is just, yeah, yeah, it's just a yeah, shambles. Yeah, and it's going to get worse in the next few months and years. Um, okay, on that cheery note, Liberty Key Studios. Okay, so we're just, um, we've just finished our viewing at Liberty Key. What were your impressions? Well, I think I might actually have a slightly different view to yourself. I, I, might, I might be wrong on this. I thought the outside of it was appalling. It felt like going into a prison. Uh, and clearly it was very shoddily built and it was much larger than I thought as a complex. Uh, but actually, the, the, the room that we saw, the studio, as they said, well, it wasn't a studio, was it? It was actually an apartment. It was a one-bedroom apartment. I, I thought in terms of space, wasn't as bad as I had anticipated. I imagined that we were going to go and into a very, very small, poorly designed studio flat 
But actually, I was, I was, I mean, I wouldn't want to live there, don't get me wrong, but actually, for, uh, for a one-bedroom flat with your uh, Wi-Fi and your bills and then everything else kind of covered, you know, the, 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 they're clearly making a lot of money out of it, but actually it was nowhere near as appalling as I thought. I, I've walked past some of these places in, in, in the city and looked through the windows and they look really dire, you know, one-bedroom one bedroom flats with a, with a, no, sorry, studios. But with a with a bed built sort of above the the kitchen or something, they look they look yeah, they're really okay. really tiny. The overall building I thought was really really horrible. But actually the the, the 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 room itself probably had a lot more space than I than I than, than I imagined. Yeah. That's funny. I guess I'm maybe it's me like coming up from London with yeah. my yeah. <laughs> with my like optimistic expectations mm, for the mm, regional mm, mm. rental market. But I thought I don't, yeah I don't know. It seems like I imagine the same as as this kind of student accommodation in London perhaps yeah, but may, maybe that's that. because it's the same market I mean if we think about yeah. it you know in, in a sense that there's there's no one from Newcastle who's going to rent that you know because mm. they're not in that market it's a completely segmented sure. market so the market is the global market for students rather than actually where it is you know I suppose so, so the market isn't differentiating between all oh, London Newcastle London w- should it, be more expensive it will a little or? bit because clearly the the, the, the the land values in London are much higher so so that so the costs of, of purchasing the land and doing the development will, 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 will be huge but I'm not that surprised that the rent differentials are um, not that great. I mean, I imagine the same place in London would have been, you know, 50, 60 quid more. I don't, I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But, I guess I'll have to I, go and look I, at this I in guess, London. I guess that they're looking at, um, I guess that they're, they're not competing with, they're competing with other regional centres. So I guess they're comp- comp- it's the middle class student market and the overseas student market in Sheffield. Mm. Edinburgh, uh, Manchester, Leeds, uh, they're all going to be much of the muchness over the thought. Is it, is it Russell Group driven though? It's, it's league table driven I it's suppose in a sense that, that, that a lot of overseas students can only get funding to come to uh, more elite institutions, they have to be okay. in a certain point in yeah. the... Uh, but I think it's a national phenomenon. Uh, I mean, there's uh, some universities have, have clearly over, overstretched themselves in terms of the overseas student market, and there's mm. been a, an increase in that kind of build within... I think it, the main developments have been in, in provincial Russell Group cities. I, the list, as I gave you, Newcastle, Leeds, Sheffield, Liverpool to a certain extent, perhaps, mm. you know, where students are the only game in town, really, I guess. So there's been a big expansion in those uh, institutions and uh, a requisite increase in, in um, uh, capital investments and, you know, mm. extracting some of the value out of those students who come and live in those places. But you're saying also, like, we're sat right now in what seems like me to a very nice pub, but you say that students don't even really no, come they here. they didn't seem to. There seems to be a circuit uh, in the city, and, and I, I would say if you're interested in sort of student housing markets, I think it's connected with a whole kind of, people talk about studentification just in terms of the accommodation that's being built, but I think it's a broader circuit of bars mm. and clubs and student nights. And um, and perhaps international students are drawn to going to recognisable chains to I eat and so. drink. I and, think so. And I think so. I mean, the, the, where we are at the moment, the Usburn in Newcastle has a, has a particular sort of aesthetic. I mean, it's not a particularly Geordie aesthetic, but it is a, it's... I mean, it feels a bit more like Dalston or Shoreditch did 40 years ago here than it does, you know, mm. any, anything else. You know, it's an old industrial area. Uh, and uh, maybe students are not, or not all students, not many students are into what this particular area offers, which is um, live music for people of a certain age, uh, quite expensive food, which is uh, nice, but actually probably doesn't appeal to, to, to many students. 
and real ale. I mean, I think that's a particular, <laughs> that's a particular sort of uh, aesthetic that appeals to a different age group, a different Perhaps, group of people. Maybe postgraduate students would be more. Perhaps, uh, but, may, be but, more. but maybe not. Maybe not postgraduate students from Beijing or Taiwan or from maybe you know, not. Uh, 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 from uh, uh, yeah. I guess that there's a real comfort thing in these international brands and there signs is, and names. There is. And there is. So I guess they all go to a place here in Newcastle called the Gate, or you know, which has got all of those brands, those shopping centres or whatever. And I think there is a little bit of a kind of a follow-y sort of circuit thing. So you'll get some students down here, but, but it's not, it's not. You know, given the closeness of this area to, to all of that big expansion in, in student accommodation, I don't think they come here. I think there's a lot of, I mean, again, I don't know, you know, 18, 19 year olds, I think they probably get booze in. If they're going to, they're going to, uh, uh, then they go out later on. It's a different, it's oh, a they different. also, apparently they don't really drink that much. I mean, well, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> That's why here on the internet, it's that they're drinking less. Smoking less. That might be so, yeah, I know, I know. But they're clearly, Maybe they just do other things. But they're clearly spending time going online buying clothes, aren't they? Which is, oh yeah, that was the interesting pile of, of deliveries from ASOS, Pretty Little Thing, Boohoo, Misguided, all the uh, top names in fast fashion. And maybe that's what they do. So the, maybe the um, yeah, maybe the whole whole thing is, the whole thing has changed. But they um, like, can you imagine coming to Newcastle from I don't know Brazil, Russia, Taiwan, whatever, mm. staying in somewhere that looks like a prison for three years and then leaving? Absurd. It is, and paying. Best and the part, aesthetic best part, of the whole thing, best part like of the, hundred grand. the colours that were used and, and things. I they just, were, but they're so generic, aren't they? I mean, in a sense, it's 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 you, you could be anywhere, literally, you could be anywhere. I mean, it's, yeah. it's an international aesthetic. You could, you, it's it's an international student aesthetic. Um, I mean, there was nothing that told you anything about where you were, other than a few kind of, you know, uh, uh, pictures of the Time Bridge and the, the yeah. Quayside. Um, and um, you know, we could have been in any 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 town or city in the UK, or indeed um, other English-speaking university, really, student accommodation in Australia. Maybe different in Australia actually, because uh, most most people live uh, go to universities in the city that they come from, so they're more likely to live at home. So there's not that market. So the market that there is in Australian cities is almost purely for overseas students. But it's uh, it's an amazing value extractor, and it's a value extractor from uh, you know financialization financialization of the of the, of the, of the loan system and of uh, huge sums of money when you think about it. And the lens parents go to to ensure their children are going to be. I yeah, don't it's know, interesting. I mean, the safe. Yeah, I was going to say you know, the, the aesthetics of the building didn't appeal to us, but as a parent with a vulnerable eighteen-year-old or a perceived, you know, you want the, to the, put the, them the in prison. Basically, you want to put them in prison, and yeah. you know the fact the fact that that you they've got the gates and the fobs and the, the you know I can imagine twenty-four hour security, yeah, probably CCTV yeah, yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, FaceTime me every night. <laughs> yeah. So you know, yeah. I mean. And, in a sense, these things aren't just the fact that they only had the one room left. Just that it's a it's a model that works. You know that they've rent, rented all these places out, um, and uh, they'll have done their research. They'll know what the what the aesthetic is. They'll know what will appeal to a certain group of students. But it's a, it's a it's a very different experience. It's the uni experience now. It's, it's the lifestyle. The lifestyle. The consideration where actually I don't think many of the students actually look terribly hard. I mean. I'm, 
the bulk. I don't mean, you know, I'm not talking about Oxbridge or UCL or Imperial or even Goldsmiths or somewhere, but I mean the, the great bulk of places, as long as it meets a kind of a quality threshold that is about the lifestyle and the city mm. and where you want to be. And, and the uh, fact you're buying yourself a qualification yeah, now. I mean, we did some research many years ago there about student housing and one of the most important aspects of student housing and indeed of the whole university experience was who you live with, mm. not in that kind of accommodation, but who you shared accommodation with in your second or third year. That was probably more important than, than who you studied with. It was often who people formed relationships with, um, who they you know had children with, who yeah. they used as a network to actually um, um, get jobs in other places. It was absolutely central. You know, yeah, and it's, I mean, I guess while I feel like mm. from my own educational mm. experiences, mm. the most positive thing that comes mm. out of it is the community yeah. and like what I learned from friends I make and... You know, I feel like, but, but I how that, on earth can that happen I wonder if that, well, I in a place like that? See, I don't think it does now, because it was there used to be a, a, a local student housing market, which wasn't these little kind of, you know, cells. It was a student house. You know, you would have to get four or five other people and rent a house. And, and you might really, have a living room, you might, or you might turn room. the hall into a living room. Right, I asked the question, what happens if someone has a party and there's yeah, yeah, noise? Yeah, and she's yeah. like, well, there's security, so you yeah. call them and they yeah, shut yeah, it down. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you don't even have to do that, I'm sure they just I'm shut, sure it they down. shut it down. That's but like, right. how can you be a student and not have the ability to have a horrendous yeah, party? Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's all of that experience. But the, the collective experience has gone. It's a very individualised experience, yeah. isn't it? I don't know. But I think there's also something about um, the experience of learning how to negotiate with the landlord, learning, learning how, how to, to pay a bill. No, I mean imagine it's all, it's all just done through an app, probably. You just like pay. that was probably the most positive thing about doing my BA was probably learning how to like pay an yes. electricity bill yeah. and cook and like yeah. do normal things, yeah. you know, life things. That's all packaged as an app now, and it will be all be and no, sets people up for a life of living in a apartment with a concierge and ordering their delivery every night and delivery I bet delivery is down there all the time trying to get through get through the gates they should just have a, <laughs> they should just have a kitchen there 10 pounds a meal well it might not be very far away I'm sure I mean I, I was saying I do stuff on sort of spatial analysis I'm sure delivery have these big collective or you know the equivalent have these big collective kitchens now that produce all of the food you think you get mm. from a local takeaway that will be positioned somewhere in Gateshead to, to maximize the, the, the distance <laughs> the drivers have to come in order to feed this well <laughs> it's a different thing but it is about the extraction of large sums of money from me uh, well not just from the young people but from the young people's future earnings and potentially from their parents and it's interesting i suppose i think there is a probably a different market in newcastle for, for overseas. i mean she said there was a lot of overseas students there but i think there are some of the really high the really high-end places near the near the station beta mm. that's really expensive and i think that's almost highly designed i mean we could do some calculations in a sort of a david harvey sense of trying to calculate the amount of, of, of um, value extracted out of, out of each square foot of, of space there. And I'd imagine building student accommodation in a Russell Group city must be one of the most efficient ways of using land at the moment. Mm, for now, though. I mean, for now. For, now, for, now. <laughs> for how long? We don't know. For now. Uh, probably for long enough. Not a lot to do with education, and certainly not, not a lot to do with kind of radical education. It is all to do with a, with a, um, an alignment between educational structures, financial structures, and uh, real estate structures, it seems mm. to me. Universities have been a huge boon, not just in terms of building building student accommodation but also in terms of building lecture theatres and campuses and other forms of refurbishment. Does 
does New- Newcastle Uni must provide its own student halls though? It does, they just yeah. don't have very much, I guess. We have a lot, but, but the expansion has been such that it's been a, a market that, that other private providers have come into. And probably, it's fair to say that the uh, university provided accommodation probably doesn't provide the same sort of hotel facilities that, mm. that these, these other things the so it's yeah. cheap, but actually I don't think universities are probably as efficient at running those kind of hotel functions as private providers are. I mean, I bet these companies are, as we said, just looking at the whole aesthetic of it. They, they, they probably also build prisons and hotels. <laughs> yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I, I think the trouble is that it's not clear to me what the um, alternative use of those buildings would be. You know, okay, you could use them as hotels. It could be a cheap end hotel, but then who's going to come and, you know... That's a lot of hotels. That's a lot, it's a lot of hotels, <laughs> isn't it? So maybe, yeah, maybe prisons, high-end prisons. So, you know, actually the sustainability of our education is going to become absolutely key in terms of um, sustaining these urban neighbourhoods. To clarify, the cost of the one-bed apartment we viewed at Liberty Keys was around £1,000 per month. The apartment was, in my opinion, very small and had an open-plan kitchen living area that offered limited cooking facilities, more of a kitchenette rather than a kitchen. Curious as to whether students actually enjoyed living there, I looked up the reviews online. They were, as expected, mixed. The criticisms included bad Wi-Fi that will make you want to die, lights so bright it's like being in a doctor's waiting room, They were lying in order to overcharge me. Overall, it feels like a prison. Very overpriced. Not the best for socialising with others. And it's a place for childish people only. I will be delving into the studentification of Newcastle and the impact and experience of private student housing in the city in more detail over the next few episodes, including talking to some of the students that actually live in these complexes. This series of Asset Arrest has been made possible thanks to support from the Newbridge Project in Newcastle and Durham University's Politics of Urban Social Innovation Research Project. To finish, I'm going to leave you with the audio from a video made by Liberty Keys with a tour of the accommodation by one of the student residents. Hi, I'm Ari. This is Liberty Central in Newcastle, and I'm going to show you around. This is my room. I love it because it's spacious yet cosy, and I've made it my own. I have a big desk where I can put my laptop, my printer, and things that make me feel like I'm at home. It means I can organise myself and I can work more efficiently. There is a plug socket, which means I can plug in all my electronics. Wi-Fi here is really fast and included in the price, and it means you can download and upload things extremely quickly. I really like my bed, it's a four foot wide double and it's really comfy. There's plenty of storage, both under bed and under the desk. There's shelving units where you can put all your books and little knickknacks and stuff. I like having plenty of storage because it means I can pack my things away and my room always looks tidy. I have an ensuite, which I really like because I love having my own space. The bills are all included, which means I don't have to worry about them. This is the kitchen, I share it with my flatmates. This is where we cook together, watch movies together and have a great time. The kitchen comes with a microwave, oven, hobs, a fridge freezer and loads of storage. This is reception. This is where I come to collect my postman parcels. I also get a chance to talk to the staff who are really friendly and helpful and make me feel looked after. This is the common room. This is where we come to hang out, play foosball and pool and watch movies in the cinema room. It's great to have a place like this because it means we can meet people from other blocks. We also have a study room, which was really useful for me during exam time. I feel really safe living here. We have 24-hour security, CCTV, I need a fob to get in. I like that there's a laundry room on site because I can fit my washing around my uni schedule. 
We're in a fantastic location. It only takes me 10 minutes to walk to uni and 10 minutes to walk to town. I love living here because I met new people straight away. I met all my flatmates on the first day. It was everything I expected and more. So that's my tour. I hope you enjoyed watching. See you later.